Today I am call, I'm going to call upon you again to think. Now please don't assume too much from this. I'm not saying that you are not thinking or you don't think. But I'm just saying now that during this time you do think. Because we're going to be looking at some truths that we do not usually delve into. We read it. We say the words. But we don't think. So this entire period, I'm going to ask for you to consider to be a sila moment. Sila means to think, to reflect, to consider. I've entitled the message for today as we continue our focus on the annual spiritual checkup, how to balance your spiritual ledger. And of course, I'm sure you realize that during this series of messages, I've sort of mixed metaphors. I've used ledges, and then I've used checking up people. Because when we talk about the church, we're not talking about an institution. We're talking about people. We're talking about uh, an organic relationship of people. That's the church. Individuals redeemed by the blood of Christ, united by the spirit of Christ. That's the church. And so when we talk about checking up and balancing and all of that, we're using a mixed metaphor here, so I hope you realize that. But in our previous messages, we have carefully examined both the pluses and negatives of our spiritual life, both to determine the validity and genuineness of our faith, as well as the quality of our faith, if we have, in fact, been regenerated by the Spirit of God. And I want you to realize whenever I use the term Christian, I use it with that definition in mind. Being Christian means that you have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Not that you're part of a church, not that you walk down the aisle, but that you have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's what I mean when I refer to the phrase or I use the word Christian. Last time in a message, we saw that there's a real competitive struggle that is continually being waged by the spirit and the flesh. That's only true in the life of the Christian. There's no struggle going on in the life of the unbeliever. The flesh has full dominion. It's only within the believer that that struggle really goes on. Why? Because of the fact that the believer has been regenerated by the spirit of God and the spirit lives within him. That's what causes the struggle. If you have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, you do not have that struggle. Okay? It's very important for us to understand. But for the believer, there's a real competitive struggle that is constantly being waged by the Spirit and what was called the flesh. Both which indwell the believer and are seeking dominion. The flesh, whatever that means, indwells the believer. The Spirit of God, member of the triune God, indwells the believer. The one to whom we willingly respond, determine whether or not our spiritual life, our spiritual life's ledger, records a profit or a loss when we do our spiritual checkup or spiritual audit. I will be doing a lot of repetition in this message because some of these things must be repeated 
in order to really be appreciated. What I'm saying here is that whoever it is we as Christians respond to, the spirit or the flesh in us, determines whether our ledger, spiritual life edda, uh, uh, audit, will go on the plus side or the loss side. Do you understand what I'm saying? The plus, minus, the loss, the profit side. A primary passage for study this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. And they are right in the midst of the Galatians 5 that we've been studying. So in a sense, we're pulling this out, not out of context, but we're pulling it out of the passage to focus on this particular area. Because we've talked all around it, now we're focusing on it specifically. This is what it says in the ESV. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, and let me say here in case I don't get around to saying it, in the original, in the Greek, this word if really is not an if of doubt. It's an if of certainty. It can actually be translated since. This is a fact. It's not if the case happens to be so. So we can really translate this accurately as since. Since we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. These, this last phrase here, or these last phrases here, tell us what happens when we do not walk by the spirit or we do not allow the spirit of God to have dominion in our lives. We desire is a vain glory. That means we're looking at everything for ourselves. We provoke one another. His provoking is not under love. This here is the sinful provoking to do wrong things, envying one another. This is how a person lives who is not controlled by the Spirit of God. Whether you like it or not, whether you confess it or not, whether you admit it or not, this is how you live. This is automatic when you're not walking by the Spirit. You walk by the flesh. And all of these phrases, these terms here, have to do with the flesh. Now here's the big idea, or the thesis for this passage. Here's what this passage is saying. The cross has separated the believer from the reign and power of the law and the flesh. In other words, separated from self-sufficiency and selfishness. And now it makes it possible for us believers, regenerated by the Spirit of God, makes it possible for believers to please God by walking by the Spirit. And again, I'll be saying walking by the Spirit, not walking in the Spirit, because that's what it really has. Walking by the enablement and empowerment of the Spirit of God. By doing that, of course, we automatically enter the sphere of the Spirit. Now, as a result of this, Christians are an amazing people. I want you to reflect on that. Christians are an amazing people. What do you mean by amazement? Awe! You're full of awe. It's an awesome thing. It's outstanding. It's different. Many times we don't look at ourselves like that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We say that many times because we want somehow to satisfy our failings. I'm still a sinner. Saved by grace, but I'm a sinner. So don't expect perfection. 
Now that means you got to forgive me for all my sins, everything I do all the time. That's the kind of attendance we go into. But that's not what this passage is talking about. Christians are an amazing people who must accomplish an amazing continuous action based on an amazing action completed by Christ in the past. And I hope you get the context of this. This thesis. This big idea. In the present, because of something that was done in the past, we are to live to honor and please God in a way that reflects what was done in the past. Did you follow me? No, you didn't. Keep listening. Because this is the wonderful truth of this passage. And it underlines for us why the Christian is an amazing person. Christians are an amazing people. Why? Notice what it says. They are Christ. You see that phrase there? Those who are Christ. Christians are Christ's people. Christians belong to Christ. They don't belong to self. They don't belong to the devil. They don't belong to the flesh. Christians belong to Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. He says Christ has died. The ones who are saved by the death of Christ is to live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them. Our life is to be lived for Christ. Why? Because we belong to him. We do not belong to ourselves. And you're going to see, we're going to be talking about the body. Paul tells us in Corinthians 6, that our bodies belong to God. Christians are amazing people because they belong to Christ. Christians are those who have been made alive by the Spirit of Christ through faith in Christ. Anita was talking about grace. And that's the basis for all of this. Nothing that we've done is all of Christ. Everything from beginning to end. We have nothing to boast of whatsoever. And the moment we start to boast, we know that we've entered the sphere, the realm, the world of the flesh. Christians are those who truly are in Christ, not mere professors. Christians are those who are in Christ. And just saying I am Christian doesn't make you to be in Christ. You have to be regenerated to be in Christ. You have to be translated out of the world of darkness into the world of light in Christ. That takes place to regeneration, not works, not profession. But an actual regeneration. And how do you know that? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you adding all of these virtues we talk about in First Peter? That's how you determine. There are two other passages in Scripture that describe believers in this fashion. First Corinthians 15. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. 
After that, notice this phrase, those who are Christ are his kingdom. Do you see that? Those who belong to Christ. Who is he speaking about? Speaking about those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. And because the Spirit of God now is alive and energizing his walk, his behavior, the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested. That's who will be with him at his coming. Second Corinthians 10. You are looking at things as they are outwardly, Paul says. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself. Just as he is Christ, so also are we. Beloved, please let this concept sink into your very being today. If you have been regenerated by the Spirit of God, you are Christ. You are Christ. We are his and he is ours. We are his very own and he is our very own. We belong to Christ. If you have truly been born again by the Spirit of God, you are Christ. Did you get that? Now you know what he said, hallelujah to that. But that's one of the most glorious truths in Scripture. Christians, those who have been regenerated by the Spirit, are Christ. He is mine, and I am His. Isn't that wonderful? Beautiful. Those who are Christ are the only people who can do what is described in this passage. That's my point. That's the point of this statement here that he is making. Christians are an amazing people because of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. That makes us different. We were sealed, Paul tells you in Ephesians 1, with the Holy Spirit when we place faith in Christ. That seal showed that we belong to him. The mark was there. It gave us security, but it also demonstrated that we belong to Him. And because we belong to Him, we are Christ. He provides everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that we need to be what he wants us to do, because we are his, he gives us. He supplies for us. He provides everything we need to be what God wants us to be. Now in this passage, with that in mind, tells us not only that we are an amazing people if we are believers, but also that we have an accomplished an amazing act. Look at the text. Look at your Bible. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Please look, this is God's word to you. God is looking, listen, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh 
with their affections and lust. These amazing people have accomplished an amazing act. What is it? Crucified the flesh with its affections and Now, what are the affections and lusts? These are the things, the characteristics that fights against the indwelling spirit who indwells us. But this passage says, the amazing Christian has crucified him. Didn't it say that? Now, several fantastic truths are revealed here. First, the action described is true of all Christians. Once you're a Christian, this has happened. This is not just true of some Christians or the holy Christians or the ones who go to church all the time or the ones who do all kinds. No, no, no. This is true of every Christian. Once you've been regenerated, this is true of you. It is true of all that are Christ. Now this is where you have to start thinking. This means, therefore, that this action is a positional truth. Accomplished by God on our behalf. It's not a practical or experiential one accomplished by our own efforts. In other words, we don't feel when this happens. In fact, we didn't even know when it happened, except generally. You see, not all Christians behave the same way. Would you agree with that? But yet, this action is true of all Christians. Therefore, it cannot be based upon what we do. Positionally speaking, therefore, God did the same thing in and for every believer who truly trusts Christ. Here, it is clearly stated that the crucifixion of the flesh with the affections and lust is true of they who belong to Christ. All genuine believers. But now if you were thinking, you should have run to a roadblock. A contradiction. Because just now I said, this is something we did. Then right after that I said, this is something we didn't do. And now one of you batted an eyelash. Can both be true? But isn't it amazing? Now, follow me. Did any of you all even think of that? And I'm stating it clearly. I didn't hide it. This is what he did. This is what God did. Began to it. And not one of you raise your hand and say, that can't be true. See what I mean about thinking about what you hear? About what you listen? The problem then arises in this text. If it's not properly and clearly interpreted. interpreted. Because secondly, and we're going to teach you some grammar now. It's important for understand that this, this is literature, isn't it? Literature has to do with words, right? Words make up what? Sentences. Involve grammar. 
There's no such thing as a spirit-filled verb or a spirit-filled noun. A noun is a noun and a verb is a verb. Isn't that right? So that's why when we have our Bible study, first thing I tell the people, the most important language you could learn in doing Bible study is not Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, but it's English. All right? Let's learn a little English. Comes from the Greek, but anyway. The form of the verb used here for crucified or crucifixion is in the active tense. In the active tense. In other words, it is something the believer does. It's not done for him. If it's passive, it's done upon him or to him. Right? If he does it, it's active. Understood? This is something the believer does. Now you say that's a contradiction then, because you just said that it was a positional truth, which is true of all believers and not based on what he did. Now you're saying it's as active he did it. How could it be both a positional fact accomplished by God and a practical action done by the believer? That's double talk. That's true. But now we're getting into the talk of the Spirit. You say, now, wait a minute. You mean that it's a talk of the Spirit that is different from natural talk? Yeah. Go to Corinthians. Paul talks about that very clearly. He says the unsaved person cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Isn't that right? He cannot understand it. Oh, yeah. He reads the words. He understands the verbs. He understands, he understands all of that. But the real spiritual truth he cannot discern. Why? Because they are spiritually apprehended, comprehended, understood, grasped, taking a hold of. And what we have to learn to do as believers is get out of the natural realm when we look at the Word into the spiritual. That's where dependence upon the Spirit of God comes in. So what is really being said here then? Well, everything focuses upon this act of crucifixion. Listen carefully. The scriptures very clearly teach that the believer's old sinful self, and I'm going to describe that too because many of us don't even know what we're talking about when we say old sinful self or old man. I heard one Christian lady when I say, I ain't got no old man, I'm a woman. The scriptures very clearly teach that the believer's old sinful self was crucified by and along with Christ on the cross. Listen to the word of God. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified. Now notice, have been, is that present tense or future tense? It's past tense. That means history. That means it's happened. Right? Past tense means history. It's happened. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives. Now that's past or present or future. Present. Continuous present going on. The life I live, present, in the body I live, present tense, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everything was based on an action on the cross. Now notice Romans 6. Tells us here the old man was crucified. Now notice Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified. History. History. 
We know that our old self is crucified with him, and that's Christ, so that the body of sin... Now, I want you to see there's a distinction between the old self and the body of sin. Sometimes we confuse them and believe they're one and the same. For we know that our old self is crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Was crucified. Now, in both instances in these passages, the verb crucified is used. It's the past tense, but now here's it. It's in the passive tense. What does that indicate? It's not done by me. It was done by someone else. The action then was done for or upon the believer, not by the believer. That's when it refers to Christ doing it. What Paul is saying then is that the believer, when he or she believed by placing faith in Christ and is regenerated by the Spirit of God, at that time, the believer entered into the benefits and results of Christ's crucifixion for us on the cross in 33 AD. Christ was crucified. He gave himself up to be crucified in 33 AD. Well, you could accept that date if you want, but around that time, right? History. Now listen carefully. By placing faith in Christ, therefore, it could be said that the believer at that time crucified the old self. Why? Because it's part and parcel of our placing faith in Jesus Christ. At the moment, our faith in Christ, our genuine faith in Christ, was exercised. At that moment, everything that Jesus did on the cross was attributed to me. See what I'm saying? Everything he did God says, I did, although I didn't do it. Are you following? God said, Jesus was crucified. He also says, so was Alan Lee. At that moment. Paul says then that the cross severed our relationship both to the demands of the law as well as with the power or control of the flesh over us. When? When Christ was crucified. Why? Because I was crucified with Christ. So whatever action was ascribed to Christ is now ascribed to the believer. That's why Paul tells us, and we can look at it soon. We died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. Isn't that right? So now you see, it isn't double talk. Christ did it, but I did it. Because he did it for me in his action. And I could say, I did it. Because he did it for me. You get it? So it's not double talk. It's spiritual talk. 
Now this means, therefore, that the cross, or more actually the crucifixion of Christ, is a barrier between us and the things that now relate to our old unredeemed life, which we inherited from Adam and from the consequences of the fall. The cross has separated us from this. Did you grasp that? Now this is true whether we feel it or not. It's even true whether we believe it or not. But our belief determines how we live it out. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6. Now if we have died with Christ against this, if could be a sense, he's talking about regenerated believers. Since we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer, that's the consequences of sin. No longer is master over him. This implies that it was before. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. And he said he died to sin, he means to power, its influence, its consequences upon him. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Did you get that? We just been, we just, we just described a translation experience for every genuine believer from an old sphere of spiritual living to an entirely new sphere of spiritual living. And every, this is the point of the passage, every genuine Christian makes this translation. And it's the cross work of Christ that brings it about. Watch this now, watch this now. Verse 11, in the same way, what way? The same way Christ died to the power and influence and impact of sin in his life so that he could now live to please God in a way undisturbed by sin in the same way you if you believe count or reckon yourselves dead now notice is dead and Half dead, partly dead, is dead dead. Consider, reckon, let's get back to the ledger. When I want to put something on the ledger, I write it down and I attribute it, I impute it. I, isn't that right? I charge it to one side of the ledger and I count it to be a fact. That's what it's saying here. Put it down on your spiritual ledger. You're dead to all of the lusts of the flesh. <clears throat> dead to the power of sin, but alive to God. And a new life, a new sphere. All of a sudden, shoo, into a new realm. 
It's all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the power to live above sin. You know? It is an established fact. This is what Paul is saying. It's history. As believers in Christ, our old self was historically crucified with Christ on the cross. He did it for us around 3380. However, we do it whenever we rely upon him by faith for our salvation. Because his actions are attributed to us at that time. So the past events become effective in our life when we say yes to Christ. Did you get that? So the first thing that we should imagine or see in our minds when we say yes to Christ is ourselves on the cross. The old life is no more. All old things are passed away. All things have become new. And if that hasn't happened to you, even though you wrote your name on a piece of paper or walked down the aisles, please examine yourself and see whether or not you are in the faith. Now you think that's amazing. When I was going through this, I wanted to know where to stop. Because so much power is in these words, are in his words here. So much truth. It's hard to take it all in. In Galatians 5.24, the specific focus of crucifixion is the flesh with affections and lusts. Remember, we looked at those negative things and says we are not, we are not in any way to walk according to the lust of the flesh. Paul is saying, believers shouldn't do that. In fact, if he looks at him, he's actually saying they can do it. Why? Because we crucify to them. Now, not only is the verb in active form showing that God accomplished the act of crucifixion, it is also in the present continuous form. Indicating that the results of that past action should now be demonstrated in the life and actions of the believer in the present. In other words, the same power that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross and cut him off from all of the impact of sin, that same power is now active in the life of the believer. Did you get that? The same power. It's ongoing. It didn't stop with Christ being put in the grave. In fact, the resurrection shows that. That same power belongs to those who are Christ. In other words, the act accomplished in the past by Christ is the basis for the results to be experienced by believer in the presence. Did Jesus have victory? Did he? Sure. We simply enter into that victory. We don't have to fight for that victory. That victory has been won. All we do is enter into it. In other words, 
we are to be experiencing the same thing he experienced with respect, with respect to the lust of the flesh as was experienced at the cross when Christ crucified or cut us off from his power over us. See, my friends, that is why it is impossible for a genuine believer to continuously give in to the lust of the flesh. We can do it sometimes. We'll talk about that later on. But we can't do it all the time. If we are continuously giving in to the lust of the flesh, we're not saved. I have no hesitancy to say that whatsoever. Because the cross tells us the true genuine believer, the regenerated believer, has cut the power off. Victory over the lust of the flesh on an ongoing basis is the part of the believer's position in those who belong to Christ. It's a part and parcel of salvation. We don't have to do anything to earn it. It's done. See, this is the time I come, I start to shout louder. You know why? Because, not because it's such a fantastic view, because I try and want you to understand it. But you know, I could shout and I could pound, and I think I help you to understand it. It's only the Spirit of God who can bring this truth home to your heart. See? See, now here's the paradigm shift. His amazing action that only believers can experience. The ongoing crucifying of the fleshly desires is something the believer does and he or she can only do it because of the Holy Spirit who indwells and enables us to do it. And what is more, we are commanded to do it. Now we're not commanded to crucify the old man. Because Jesus did it. That's why, please, don't talk about crucifying yourself, yeah? That's an impossible task. It's already done anyway. Why you want to... You can't do it better than Christ can. But now look at Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. See, that's an ongoing thing. If, if that's the way you live, it leads to die. This death means eternal separation in this particular passage. Now notice, but if by the Spirit... See that? If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There is something that we can crucify, but it's not the old self. It's the misdeeds, notice now, of the body. You will live. Well, actually, Paul is saying, listen, put these misdeeds where they're supposed to be. In the grave. On the cross. Leave them there. Don't dig them back up. That's the implication. If you do, you're like a scavenger going to the graveyard, digging up the graves, and you're taking these things home, and you're putting them in your house, you're putting them to your breast, and that's what you're doing if you're going to live according to the flesh. The good news puts it this way. Good news translation. If you live according to your human nature, you are going to die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death your sinful actions, you will live. I want you to notice now the emphasis on deeds and actions. That's what's crucified. Listen to the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, the old man way of life, to put off your old self. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. And put on what? The new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That has to do with behavior and lifestyle. This is how the New International Reader's Version puts it. And I'm reading these from this version so you could get the word. You were taught not to live the way you used to. You must get rid of your old way of life. That's because it is polluted by longing for things that lead you down the wrong path. You were taught to be made new in your thinking. You were taught to start living a new life. It is created to be truly good and holy, just as God is. Once again, Colossians 3 verse 9. Do not lie to each other. That's an evidence of the old life, the old self, the corruption of the old nature. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, notice again the emphasis on practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. That's God. Now here's how the message puts it. And remember, this message is not a translation, it is a paraphrase. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator. With his label on it. I like that. All the old fashions are now obsolete. But it isn't amazing how many professing Christians go around with the old label, the old fashion. Clothes. Not me, man. Look at this. Somebody give me this, you know. Up to date. She just pink, not pink. What is this? Lavender. My wife gave me that. Why I had to wear it. And the big, look, I mean, you're stylish here, you see. But yet, you'll find Christians going around wearing the old clothes of the 50s and the 40s, sporting it as though it's something new. And it isn't. In fact, that's even a nice way of saying it. It's like me taking off these clothes, these nice gifts here, and going into some a ghetto, digging into the trash, finding some old clothes, stinky clothes, dirty clothes, filthy clothes, and putting them on. That's a better description of what Christians do when they allow sin to dominate their lives. 
Paul is saying, don't take from the cross what has been nailed there. Don't drag up from the grave of the old self what was buried there. My friends, again I say that's exactly what a Christian does when he or she lives according to the flesh. When he or she does not walk according to the spirit. We take down from the cross or actually out of the grave the dead, putrid old self that Christ left there after his death. Anna is on the cross. And we take it again as our own. The words put to death and to crucify then means to put off the old traits or characteristics of the old self. What we used to be and do before we became Christians and were indwelled by the Spirit of God. We are not to go on living the same way we used to before we were saved. As though the old self is still in power over us. He is not. Paul says, therefore, be real. Be your new self. Be who you are, not what you were. Stop, stop acting like spiritual zombies. You know what a zombie is? Stop behaving like that. Don't be what you were, be what you are. Don't be a hypocrite because that's what you are when you are not what you say you are. <laughs> Don't be a hypocrite, be Christian. Don't say you are Christian yet live like a non-Christian. And Paul is saying, you can do it. You can do it. If we couldn't do it, God wouldn't command us to do it. But we do it by drawing upon what Jesus has done. And we draw upon the indwelling spirit of God who is the power. Who energizes the new person in Christ to be godlike. So Paul is being very logical and rational. He's saying... If your source of life is in the spirit, then show it by the way you live. Or more simply, remember I say again, repeat, or more simply, be what you are. If you are spiritual, live like you're spiritual. To be even more true to the text, Paul is saying, if the spirit has given you life, then live your life in keeping with his desires and be under his control. Or to put it another way. If you are alive in the fear of the Spirit, then live your life under the control of that Spirit. Or to put it even more simply, if you say you're a Christian, live like one. That's the message. And the wonderful truth is, God has provided for us in the Spirit, the cross work of Christ, everything we need to be just like Christ. Examine yourself. See whether or not you be in the faith. Are you walking in the Spirit under the control? Of, we're going to pick this up again. Are you walking under the control of the Spirit, empowered by His life in you? Will you continue 
to evaluate your spiritual life in light of the Bible's description of what it really means to be Christ? Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Reflect for a moment, please. Are you certain about your calling and choosing? Are these spiritual qualities that we've discussed a part of your spiritual lifestyle inventory? Have you totally surrendered yourself to God, the Spirit, in a once-for-all action? Are you constantly, continually, and deliberately presenting your body on a daily basis to be used by God for His purpose and His glory? Or are you using the instruments that belong to God to fulfill your own desires, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the devil? Examine yourself. First, to see whether or not you are in the faith. Secondly, to see whether or not right now your spiritual ledger is on the plus or the minus, the loss or the plus side. All it takes to balance your ledger is to confess to him that you've sinned and then commit yourself once more to the full control and enablement of the Spirit of God in your life. And then, live in the Spirit by faith in His Word. If you've never yet received Christ, we encourage you to do that and invite you, implore you to speak to one of the pastors here before you leave. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your spirit who's given your word and your spirit who illuminates us to help us understand. And now we pray that that same Holy Spirit might do his work in our hearts so that it will find good, good ground in our hearts. And may your word accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth today. And all of God's people said, 